Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Can anybody tell me who these two guys are? Ant and Deck. Who knows who Ant and Deck is? Hands up. Okay, actually, no. Who doesn't know who Ant and Deck is? Okay, one person. There were one or two youth on Friday night were like, who's Ant and Deck? And I was shocked. Um, Ant and Deck are the UK's best known TV presenters and also the highest paid TV presenters in the UK. So last year, they signed a new three-year contract with ITV for 40 million quid. So that is how much they get paid. Now, the one thing you got to know, and you may already know about Ant and Deck, is that you can't have one without the other. All right? Now, in the past, they've both tried to present TV shows on their own, and it's just not worked at all. Hands up, has anybody ever seen Ant or Deck try and present a TV show on their own? Okay? One person? Well, one person out of an entire room. So, and that is because it hardly ever happens. Now, a little bit of a history on Ant and Deck. You were not thinking you were going to get this this morning, but this is, this is something we throw in for free in church. So, in 2018, that was the last time when Ant or Deck had to present a TV show on their own. Basically, what happened was Ant had to take a year off because he had alcohol problems. So, Deck tried to present Saturday Night Takeaway. Uh, the name is Anton Dex Saturday Night Takeaway on his own. And you know, we've got a picture of him here. Bless him. He tried his best. He really did. But after he finished, everyone was just like, where's, where's Deck? Or where's Ant? Like, I, I want Ant back. It's just not the same without Ant. Later that year, I'm a celebrity. We're so panicky about Deck presenting it without Ant, that they flew in the, basically the TV presenter who can rescue any TV show, Holly Willoughby, they flew her in to present with Deck. And they did, they presented I'm a Celebrity in 2018 with each other, and it was fine, but even with Holly Willoughby, Deck actually admitted on air that she was good, but she just wasn't quite as good as presenting with Ant. You know, which Holly took pretty well. But then in 2019, to everybody's relief, Ant came back. And as a result, Ant and Deck TV Gold returned to UK TV screens. Okay? And actually, it made everyone very, very happy. And actually, the Daily Mirror, the font of all knowledge, uh, printed a headline. The headline went as this. Britain's Got Talent Fans in Tears as Ant and Deck were finally reunited on TV. That's how much it meant to some people. Anyone here in tears when they got back together? <laughs> no, okay. Well, some people were. Now, the thing about Ant and Deck is when they're together on screen, they're brilliant. And even I will admit that, they're brilliant. The chemistry, the jokes, the playfulness, the appeal to all ages, they are TV gold. I defy anyone, even Andy Armstrong, anyone... Oh, does he love them? Okay, great. Anyone, even Sam Ward, I defy anyone to watch Ant and Deck presented together and not laugh or at least smile. Or at least if you can't smile, have your heart warmed. 
okay? These guys are great, okay? They really are. Brilliant together, but when they present on their own, it's a completely different story. It's clunky, it's a bit awkward, they're not very funny when they're on their own. It's a completely different story. Together, they're the most in-demand TV presenters in the UK. Apart, apart from, when they're apart from each other, nobody wants to hire them. Together, they are millions. On their own, they are nothing, okay? Anth and Deck just don't work without each other. That is a fundamental fact of life, okay? That is just, take that to the bank. Anth and Deck don't work together. Now, this morning, I'm going to talk about two things that just like Ant and Deck are brilliant together, but rubbish apart. This morning, I'm going to talk about faith and deeds. Brilliant together, but rubbish apart. There you go, everyone. You know where I was going with the whole Ant and Deck thing. Some of you are like, what is this? Where are we going with this? Well, that's where we're going. Faith and deeds, brilliant together, rubbish apart. So when I talk about faith, what do I mean real simply? Well, faith in God and Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. That's faith. That's what faith is. And what do I mean by deeds? Very simply, doing good stuff. Faith and deeds, brilliant together, rubbish apart. Now, in the past, people have tried doing one of these without the other, and they've found that it just doesn't work. And in the Bible, Paul writes to some people who were trying to get to heaven, trying to be accepted by God by faith in Jesus, by just doing stuff. No faith in Jesus, just doing stuff. Deeds without faith. And Paul is like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't just do good stuff to try and make you right with God, to try and get you to heaven. It doesn't work like that. And then he, and he, and he replies to them by this famous verse that you may have heard of in the Bible. He says, it's by, no, no, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. So Paul's saying, look, you can't get saved just by doing good stuff, by doing deeds. But then in another part of the Bible, and this is the bit we're going to look at today, James deals with the opposite problem. He writes to people who say they believe in Jesus, but basically keep doing all the same bad stuff that they were doing before they said they believed in Jesus. There's just like no change. So there's faith but no deeds. And James is like, no, you can't do that. No, faith in Jesus always leads to us doing good stuff, to our lives changing when the Holy Spirit awakens us. That's the proof that we have faith in Jesus in the first place. That's the proof that our faith is the real deal. And James says to these people, again, another famous verse says, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Yes, dead. And he uses lots of other words in the passage like useless, dead, yet pointless. Now the church down throughout history has veered towards sometimes one way and veered sometimes towards the other. Someone once said, the church is a bit like a man climbing onto a horse, then falling off one side, then getting back on the horse, and then falling off the other side. And in, in history, what's happened with the church is 
they've gone really hot on the like, we've got to do good stuff. We've got to do good stuff because we're Christians. And they go so hot on that, but they forget the faith aspect and they fall off the horse on one side. And that happened a long time ago. And a guy had to stand up and say to the church, look, we've done this wrong. We've fallen off the horse. We've got to get back on. And that guy's name was Martin Luther. And he came and he said, no, it's by faith that we're saved. Not by all this works. But then at other times, the church has fallen off the other side of the horse and being like, oh, it's all about faith in Jesus. We just need to trust in Jesus, get our ticket in our pocket, and we are going to heaven. We are saved by grace. And if we do anything wrong, well, Jesus is going to forgive us. So we can just do whatever we want. And sometimes the church has veered towards this and fallen off this side as well. And some people have had to come and say, oh, no, hold on a minute. When you become a Christian, you know, it changes you. It changes how you act and how you live and what you do. The Holy Spirit does something inside you. So whenever the church veers too much to one and neglects the other, we basically end up becoming ant without deck or deck without ant, you know? And everybody knows that just doesn't work. Look at him, lonely deck on the stage on his own trying trying his hardest but it just doesn't work no matter what he does faith and deeds have got to go together and that's the what the passage we're going to look at this morning talks about faith and deeds going together so I'm going to just read the passage now it's going to appear on the screen Um, you can follow in your bibles if you want or follow along the screen it's James chapter 2 verses 14 to 26 says this what good is it My brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but there's nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Bit of a tongue twister there. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Verse 20. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, it was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Yeah, I'm going to get you to say dead a lot in that. So faith without deeds is dead. Now, two things I want to just share this morning. Number one, faith without deeds is dead. And number two, faith with deeds is the real deal or real McCoy or whatever real type of thing you want to say it is. Faith without deeds is dead. Faith with deeds is the real McCoy. So let me just start. First thing, faith without deeds is dead. Now, a number of years ago, I was in a meeting with a, a number of pastors, and we were chatting about how to do church planting, and in particular, we were chatting about how you get like the first 20 people, how you go from like 
one person being like, let's plant a church to like 20 people. We're actually getting going. And we were chatting about the different things that we've done and the different things we've tried in the past. And I could see there was this one pastor in the room and he was getting a bit red in the face. And he didn't say anything. And you can tell this was a bad sign because the anger is building up. And you think, oh, it's going to explode here. But he didn't say anything. Eventually, after we chatted for about 20 minutes, he bursts into life. He's a Brazilian pastor, pastor from Brazil. And he says, look, I'm from Brazil. I got no problem getting people to church. Everybody in Brazil loves a sing song on a Sunday morning. All right. All I need is a worship leader who can play guitar reasonably well. I show up, preach, and I will have a crowd. No problem. My problem is getting people to live as Christians the other six days of the week. That's my problem. And he shared that with us, and we're all like, okay, great, that's, that's good. But it was true for him. His big problem in his community was people having faith without deeds. He says, I have gang leaders coming to my church praising Jesus, arms high, tears down their eyes on a Sunday and going out beating people up and selling drugs the rest of the week. He's like, I've got faith without deeds. What do I do with this? And actually, statistically, you can look at Brazil as an example. Brazil has some of the highest numbers of evangelical Christians of any country in the world. It also has the highest amount of corruption of any country in the world. Faith without deeds. I uh, went to Uganda uh, a few years ago um, to do some preaching there, and I was chatting to one of the pastors, and this pastor uh, runs a number of churches, and uh, uh, lots of churches, and he set up schools and a hospital. And I said to this pastor, hey, what's your biggest problem right now? And he said, my biggest problem is people who say they're Christians, but it makes no difference to their lives. That's my big problem. And he shared how he runs uh, his, his church, the charity. They set up a school. I think we've got a picture of it here. They set up a school um, where uh, quite poor people can come along and, and go to school. And they, they, you know, it's, uh, and they set up the school. And then, and then he said, we discovered that actually the, the accountant, the person who's running the accounts, had been siphoning off money for years, stealing money from this charity, this school, helping the poorest of the poor. And this person is a Christian. They come to church, they praise Jesus, and yet, stealing money month after month after month. Faith without deeds. That's faith without deeds. And James here is addressing people like this who say they believe in Jesus, but it makes absolutely no difference to how they live their lives. And James, I don't know if you noticed in the passage, he's pretty hard hitting here. He doesn't beat around the bush here. Not very British and polite about it. He says it like it is. He says about these people that their faith is dead. Actually, he uses another word. He says it's useless in the passage. All right? He's basically saying their faith is a bit like this gate. James is saying these people's faith is like that gate. Looks nice, but useless. James is essentially saying, next picture, this, their faith is like this cup with the handle on the inside. It's useless. Okay, we got another one. James is essentially saying, 
these people's faith is, is like a watering can where the spout actually pours back into the watering can. It just, it doesn't do anything. It's useless. Like boots with like holes in the front. Good for keeping your, your feet aerated, but not very good for keeping dry. And actually James uses, he actually has an illustration. These are my illustrations, by the way. This isn't James, not in the Bible. But James has his own illustration for explaining just how useless faith without deeds is. In the passage, he says, Faith without deeds is like someone from church that you know well. So imagine someone here from church, you know well, right? And you walk down the street one day and you see them and they're begging on the street, all right? You look at them and they're in a bad way and they haven't, clearly haven't eaten for days. They have ragged clothes. They're just sitting out there in the cold and they're filthy. And he says, faith without deeds is like walking past them and saying, Hey, lovely to see you. Look, I can't stop or I'm going to be late for my lunch. But God bless you, brother. Go in peace. Keep warm and well fed. I'm just walking on. He says, that's how useless faith without deeds is. Like the person sitting there will be like, what good is that to me? You know, I need more than that. It's useless. That's what faith without deeds is like. It's completely useless. It's like aunt without who? Deck, yeah, useless. Well, okay, that's a bit harsh on them. I'm sure they're all right, but that's the point. And this is one of the reasons why at church we have set up our welfare fund. Some of you may be aware of that. We set up a welfare fund last year, basically a fund for those in our church who are in financial need for whatever reason. And, and that fund has helped many people over this last year at CCM. Um, so just to say, if that's a place where you're in, if you're in financial need, perhaps the church welfare fund could help. You can talk to Tom, talk to Lizzie, talk to Andy, obviously very, all confidential. But we want to be a church that is about faith and deeds. We don't just want to help people in church with their faith. That's great. We want to help people in church who need help financially as well. And just to say, if that's you and you're in that place, don't let pride be the thing that stops you from reaching out for help. Just come, just ask. You never know how church might be able to help you in that area. So faith without deeds is dead. And I love how James, I mean, it's hard hitting though. I love how James finishes this little section. I mean, to just completely cap the argument, he's like, he says, I don't know if you noticed it. He says, you believe in God. Well done. So do the demons. He was like, gosh, you know, that's what he's like. Yeah, of course, faith of the deeds is dead. Yeah. So faith of the deeds is dead. It's useless. It's the first thing. Second thing, faith with deeds is the real deal. Who's looking forward to this point more than the first one? Yes, some positivity here. Yes, so we see that in verses 20 to 26 of our passage. About seven, must be about seven or eight years ago, I was preaching at one of the sites at CCM. And I was preaching on giving. And I was sharing about how it's good for us to give of our money uh, back to God, to give to church. And I shared about how the Israelites actually didn't give 10% of their money to, to God. They all actually almost give about 30% of their income to God in the Old Testament. He's like, wow, it's pretty amazing. So I shared all this. Preach over. This 11-year-old boy comes up to me after the service. And he's like, good preach, Andy. I was like, oh, good. Thank you. Um, and he's like, look, what you said is right, you know. I was like, oh, well, thank you. Um, he's like, look, I've, uh, I've got a tenor. Uh, 
I was going to go to KFC this afternoon and buy as much chicken as 10 pounds will buy. But because of what you preached, I've just given three quid to church and I'm just going to spend seven pounds on chicken. And I was like, so wait a minute, you, you mean to tell me you have, you have given up chicken for God? And he's like, yeah. I was like, well, this, this faith is the real deal right here. I was like, right, we need to talk about baptism here. You know, this is, but it's, it was the real deal. He didn't have much, but he could see, oh yeah, that's right. I want to be generous with what I have. And he was, and you could see, wow, there's something real there. And we see a similar-ish thing with Abraham in our passage here. In Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, look up at the stars in the sky so shall your offspring be. He's basically saying, look, Abram, you're going to have as many offspring as there are stars in the sky. That's going to happen. And Abraham's like, yes, God, I believe you. I have faith. I, I believe what you said is true. But the proof of the pudding was when God asked Abraham to back his faith up by action. When God asked him to sacrifice his only son. And God here doesn't ask him to do anything he isn't willing to do. Okay? He asks him to sacrifice his only son. And when God asked him to do that, as hard as it must have been, he showed that he was willing to do it. Now, he didn't have to go through with it in the end, but his willingness showed his faith was the real deal. The real McCoy. Now, in the same way, Rahab's faith was also backed up by her actions. She was willing to risk everything to help the Israelites who were spying out her land. And her actions showed that her faith was also the real what? The real deal. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, okay, faith with deeds is the real deal. I agree. I mean, you're in church. Of course you agree. But what kind of deeds are we talking about here? Like, what are we talking about? Give me a list. I love a list. I'm a list person. So, because I'm a list person, I'm going to give you a list. Now, if we look through James, James in his letter gives us loads of examples of the kind of deeds he's thinking of that show our faith is the real deal. Now, don't try and do them all in one go, all right? Just throwing that out there. But here's some of the things we're talking about. Keeping going when times are hard. Being a good listener. That's one of the best ways you can show love to people is by listening. Being careful what you say when you speak. Being slow to become angry. Getting rid of moral filth in your life. Keeping yourself from being polluted by the world. Not showing favoritism. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Being merciful keeping the law, resisting the devil, not boasting about yourself, or gossiping about others behind their backs. Not oppressing the weak, but helping those less fortunate than ourselves. And actually, there's a lot of overlap here of the stuff that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says pretty much similar things. Now, of course, none of us do all of this 100% all of the time. But, you know, having a go at it, trying some of this stuff shows 
that our faith is genuine. Now, I was chatting with Sam before the preach began. And Sam comes up to me. He's like, oh, gosh, what's he going to say? He comes up. He goes, oh, are you preaching today? I said, what are you preaching? I said, I'm preaching on James, you know, faith and deeds. And he's like, oh, Andy, can I tell you what I hate about when people preach on faith and deeds from James? It's like, oh, gosh, yeah, go and tell me. I hope I haven't put any of it in my preach. But he's like, I hate it when people make it all a comparison thing, you know? Like comparing themselves to, oh, they do loads of deeds. I'm not as good as them. So I just want to say, that is great, Sam. <laughs> that is such a good thing. And I just want to say, let's kick any comparison there may be, completely boot it down Hyde Road. We're not about comparing ourselves to others. We're not about making ourselves feel bad because Andy Armstrong just loves just doing good deeds for people. It just flows out of him. I'm never going to be like Andy. Let's just forget about that, but just think, hey, wow, I wonder if I could try some of these or have a go at some of these things. And if you're thinking like, where do I start doing some of these things? Well, really good place to start is here. Look at the people around you and how could I do some of that stuff on people here in this room? Safe place. We're all friends here. You know, try that. Great thing to try. Now, we don't, we don't do all this stuff 100% all of the time, but having a go shows our faith is genuine. I was reading a book by a, a super smart theologian called Jonathan Pennington, and he says this. He says, disciples are called to a deeper level, a level deeper than just acquiring knowledge. So being a Christian isn't just about learning stuff, but disciples are called to practice Jesus' teachings. And this is precisely what James is arguing. Now, let me give you an example of someone practicing Jesus' teachings, faith with deeds. It's a guy called Tony Campolo. He's a pastor in America. And many years ago, a number of years ago, he was on a preaching, a speaking engagement in Honolulu, Hawaii. Now, I don't know what I've done wrong. I've never had an invite to speak in Honolulu. You, Andy? No? Still waiting on that? Okay, fine. Well, he got invited to speak in Honolulu, Hawaii. And he says, whenever you live in the East Coast of America and you travel to Hawaii, the time difference is so much that for the first four or five days, you wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning, every morning. So the first morning he's there, he wakes up at 3 a.m. in the morning, he says he's hungry. So he, he goes down the stairs, walks down the road in Honolulu downtown, and he finds a greasy spoon, a diner, and he goes into this diner. It's 3 a.m. in the morning, there's nobody in the place, completely empty. And it's those kind of diners. You ever been into one of those where like, you go to the menu and you don't want to touch it because it's so covered in grease? You know one of those places? So he walks in there, he sits at one of the, the seats at the counter, and there's a big guy behind the counter. Massive big guy, unshaven with a cigar in his mouth. Puts the cigar down and says, what do you want? And he says, I'll, I'll, I'll have a coffee and a donut. So he gets the coffee, pours the coffee, and then he gets his hand and he wipes his hand like that on his T-shirt and he grabs the donut and he gives the donut and the coffee to Tony Campolo, sitting in this diner, this greasy spoon in Honolulu, Hawaii at 3 a.m. in the morning. So he sits there eating his coffee and his donut. Five minutes later, 10 to 11 prostitutes 
walk in to the diner and he's thinking, oh gosh, he said, I said, I tried to hide. I tried to pretend I wasn't there, but there was no one else in the diner. And they all came up to the counter and they sat next to me, four or five on one side, four or five on the other. And they were all chatting around me, across me, everything. And I kept my head down. I didn't say much. You notice one of the prostitutes, right, stood right next to him, said, it's my birthday tomorrow. I'm going to be 39 tomorrow. <coughs> and one of the other ladies, she says, what do you want me to do about it? I want to throw you a party or something, buy you a cake. She's like, no, no, I, I, I'm not asking for that. I'm, I'm just telling you it's my birthday tomorrow. I'm not expecting a party, you know. I'm just telling you. Why you got to hurt my feelings? And then Tony Camola said, and then she said this, and that's what it did it for me. She said, I've never had a birthday in my whole life. I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. So Tony Campolo said, I waited till they all left, and I said to Harry, the, the guy behind the, behind the bar who owned the place, I said, Harry, girl next to me, what's her name? She says, oh, yeah, that's Agnes. That's Agnes. She's one of the good ones, you know. I know what she does. She's a good person. Tony Campolo says, Harry, I heard it's her birthday. What do you say we throw her a birthday party tomorrow night? This time tomorrow night. Harry says, brilliant, mister. That's brilliant. He shakes my hand. And Tony Campolo says, right, I'll go to the supermarket tomorrow. I'll get some streamers. I'm going to get a sign. I'll buy a cake. Harry's like, oh, no, no, don't need a bag of cake. I'll make the cake. That's my thing. He's like, oh, gosh, right. Maybe not the most hygienic things. All right, fine. So next morning comes around, about 2.30 in the morning. Tony Campolo, he's been earlier in the day. He's bought loads of streamers. He bought loads of posters, loads of stuff. He's bought a sign saying, happy birthday, Agnes. And he gets into the diner. There's no one there. He sticks the sign up behind the bar. He puts the streamers up. The place is looking beautiful. Little did he know that Harry and his wife, Jen, had put word around Honolulu that Agnes was going to have a birthday party. So by five past three... By five past three in the morning, the diner was jam-packed full of every prostitute in Honolulu, Honolulu and Tony Campolo, the pastor, in the middle of them all. By ten past three, Agnes and her friends walk into the diner and everybody just goes, happy birthday. She's so shocked, she almost falls over, her knees give way and her friends steady her. They bring her over to the bar where the cake is there, the candles are lit, and Harry's going, come on, Agnes, blow out the candles. And Agnes is tears streaming down her eyes. She's never had a birthday party before in her life. Tears streaming down her eyes. And Harry's going, come on, Agnes, knock it off, knock it off, blow out the candles, knock it off, come on. But she couldn't blow the candles out. So Harry blew them out for her. And then Harry says, come on, Agnes, cut the cake, cut the cake. And she says with tears in her eyes, mister, she says to Tony Campolo, mister, is it okay if I don't cut the cake? And Tony Campolo was like, Agnes, it's your cake. You do whatever you want with it. She says, is it okay if I take the cake and go show my mother? And Tony Campolo was like, yeah, but do you have to do it now? And she said, look, she lives two doors down. I just want to take the cake and go and show my mother. So he said, she picks up the cake like it's the holy grail. And she walks out to walk down the road to show this birthday cake to her mother. As she leaves the room, the entire diner goes deathly silent. Nobody says anything. And Tony Campolo says, you know, it's strange looking back on it now, but what I said in front of everyone was, hey, shall we pray? 
room full of prostitutes. And he did. He stood up in front of all those prostitutes and he prayed. And he prayed for Agnes. He prayed about the awful things that men had done to her. And he prayed how God can make her new and can renew her through the power of Jesus. And he finished his prayer and he said, Amen. And Harry immediately jumps in and goes, Yo, Campolo, you told me you were a sociologist. You're not a sociologist. You're a preacher. What type of church do you preach at? And Tony Capolo says, in one of those moments when you said just the right thing, he says, I said to Harry, Harry, I preach at a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the morning. And Harry immediately chimed in, no, you don't. No, 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 you don't. I would go to a church like that. And you know, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all go to a church like that? And that, that is the kind of church that Jesus came to create. A church of faith and a church of deeds. Reaching to this lost world with the love of Christ. One person at a time. And that, that stuff right there, that, that's the real deal. That is the real deal.